Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joel Craft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is good to be with you another Friday evening, reflecting into the richness of our faith. And if you are a faithful listener out there, you do know that on Fridays we get into Scripture, in particular the Gospel that we have uh, uh, from our Sunday Mass. So uh, today, this evening, we have the opportunity to engage a very rich Gospel text uh, which has us reading about Thomas's encounter with our Lord. And I'll be doing this uh, with Debbie Rizals. Debbie, it is good to have you back with me tonight. Thank you for having me, Joe. We get into Scripture, in particular the Gospel that we have uh, uh, from our Sunday Mass. So uh, today, this evening, we have the opportunity to engage a very rich Gospel text uh, which has us reading about Thomas's encounter with our Lord. And I'll be doing this uh, with Debbie Rizals. Debbie, it is good to have you back with me tonight. Thank you for having me, Joe. So today we do celebrate Divine Mercy Sunday, a day devoted to many reflections about God's merciful love shining through the Easter Trudum and, of course, the whole Easter mystery. In many ways, this feast recovers an ancient liturgical tradition reflected certainly in the teachings of St. Augustine about the Easter octave, which he called the days of mercy and pardon, and the octave day itself the compendium of the days of mercy. That being said, it was not until, as many of us know, the year 2000 that Pope John Paul II gave this second Sunday of Easter the special title, Divine Mercy Sunday. Fittingly, uh, Blessed John Paul II, along with Blessed John XXIII, will both be canonized saints on this great feast of Divine Mercy. And as a lot of attention is given to the relationship between Blessed John Paul II and mercy, we must not forget that uh, Blessed John XXIII, uh, when he was Pope and when he convened the Second Vatican Council, uh, he saw the Church as offering the world uh, the medicine of mercy in his first uh, in his first address there at Second Vatican Council. So it is also fitting that we see John XXIII tied to this great uh, feast of God's divine mercy. But certainly, it is the figure of Blessed John Paul II that is tied to this day for good reason. Uh, John Paul II's interest in divine mercy goes back to the days of his youth, where in Krakow, he was an eyewitness to so much evil and suffering during World War II in occupied Poland. Uh, He witnessed, he personally witnessed the roundups of many people who were sent to concentration camps and slave labor. Uh, If you were to go back into history, you can see how it impacted just not um, his early days, but really his whole life and ultimately his pontificate. He experienced firsthand the need for God's mercy and humanity's need to be merciful to one another. So it was during that time of terror and fear that young 
uh, Carol Wojtyla, his baptismal name, decided to enter the seminary. And it was then, while in the seminary, he met another seminarian by the name of Andrew Descour, who uh, would later become cardinal, who introduced Carol to the message of divine mercy as it was revealed to the Polish mystic nun, Sister Maria Faustina Kowalska, a woman who died at the age of 33 in 1938. She became an instrument of God's mercy. Uh, we don't have the time to get into it now. If you just want to uh, index search that name, St. Maria Faustina, now you'll get uh, what that message of mercy was all about and how she was used as an instrument. So with that, you know, John Paul II, then Carol Wojtyla, became quite close with the message of mercy entrusted uh, to this young Polish nun. And so God's mission of mercy would forever be close to the heart of Carol Wojtyla, Cardinal Wojtyla, Pope John Paul II. And it was towards the beginning of his pontificate in 1981 that he wrote an entire document dedicated to divine mercy, titled Dives in Misericordia, Rich in Mercy, illustrating that the heart of the mission of Jesus Christ was to reveal the merciful love of the Father. And as I noted earlier, it was in the year, Jubilee year 2000, that he uh, gave us this special title of Divine Mercy Sunday, and in that same year, he canonized Sister Faustina. Uh, very important this day to John Paul II. So, Deb, this gospel affords us to engage this very rich topic of mercy. So why don't we just uh, get started and read that gospel. And I'm reading from John chapter 20, verse 19 and 31. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the doors were locked where the disciples were, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and he said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain are retained. Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples said to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger into the nail marks and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now a week later, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, although the doors were locked, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put your hand into my side, and do not be unbelieving, but believe. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you come to believe because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. 
Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book, but these are written that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that through this belief you may have life in his name. Amen. Thanks, Deb. So off the top, a few words about some of these opening verses. It's striking, Debbie, that his first words to the apostles, the disciples there, were not, how dare you? Mm-hmm. Maybe looking over at, at Peter and, and saying, hey, did you not deny me? What happened there? Or I condemn you. Right. It was, peace be with you. And a peace that only comes in the presence of Christ. He stood in their midst and said, peace be with you. Only when Christ is in our midst will we know the peace that Christ wishes to give us. Which, as we talked about uh, the last few weeks, it's not this political peace that so many were expecting. This messianic king who's going to triumph by violence and, and warfare and all the rest. No. Not a worldly peace that is procured by violence, which is unstable, but a spiritual peace. Pope Francis says in Joy of the Gospel, when we talk about Christian peace, Catholic peace, we're not talking about a peace that comes from a negotiated settlement. Mm -hmm. This is a deeper peace, an abiding peace. A peace that, that is not just about the absence of warfare, but spiritual welfare. I love, um, Father Barron does a great, I think a very practical definition of peace. Mm. And he said, it's not just the absence of conflict, but peace is the presence of everything God had from the beginning and wants Mm. his people to have. Mm. Oh my gosh, that is beautiful. Everything that God had from the beginning, has Mm -hmm. from the beginning, Mm -hmm. present tense, of course. Amen. And really, you go back to the Old Testament, the shalom, is covenant harmony. It's relationship with God. And I've always said on this topic of peace, peace is able to look into the eye of the storm and say, well, what Christ says, peace, be still. So it's it's about relationship. You know, I I go back to the sound of music that uh, scene in one of those, uh, I think it's in the opening scene there when, you know, there's the thunder and there's the lightning. We've been having lots of thunder and lightning around here, right? And what do the kids do? Hide. Well, they they go they to run Ma- to Maria's yes, room. <laughs> yes, they, why? Because th- they feel comfortable there. Security. They they yes, secure. Mm. You see, there's something ab- about her already, although they've just met her. Uh, and so, really, peace, as it's not about the absence of conflict, as Father Barron talks about it, or the absence of warfare. It's it's the abiding calm that comes with being in relationship with Jesus Christ, and no matter what is happening around you. Whatever storm, whatever trial, whatever circumstance in life that that might be gripping you, when we are rooted in this peace that Jesus Christ talks about, that he he greets these apostles with, that, that is the calm in the storm. Right, absolutely. The peace that is beyond all understanding. Isn't that correct? And I love because he immediately sets them at ease. You, you can just feel that. You know, they've got the doors locked. They're, they're fearful, it says. They're fearful for the Jews. Struggling with some guilt, mm-hmm. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. You know, man, yeah. we turned yeah. tail and ran on yeah. our, our master, yeah. our rabbi. 
And so then he, he says, peace be with you. And I love that line because it says the disciples rejoiced yeah. when they saw the Lord. Yeah. Instead of they rejoiced in his presence. And, and I agree that peace is intimacy with God. It's just yeah. that, into, that relationship, that intimacy. Yeah. Amen. Now what's interesting here, Deb, is the context that he talks about this peace. And you go down to verse 21. Jesus said to them again a second time, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, even so I send you. And what does he say? And when he had said this, he breathed on them. And what's really interesting, that word in the Greek renders the, the Hebrew, you know, ruach, the, the breath of God, you know, the very life-giving spirit that is the breath of God into Adam. Uh, and you can see all throughout the Old Testament the image of breath and wind, certainly raising the corpses uh, from the dead is another account of the, the power of this, the breath of God. And so here we have God incarnate breathing this power into uh, the apostles. And what does he say? Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. This goes back to uh, Matthew 16, uh, verse, I think it's 19. Matthew 18, verse 18. Uh, Matthew 16, he's talking to Peter. Whatever you bind and loose, forgive, retain. It's the same language. He's given these first apostles the power and the authority to forgive sins. This great ministry of mercy and reconciliation. And again, Jesus is not saying, I condemn you. No. He's not saying, how dare you? He's saying, peace be with you. I love you. And this is what he says to us in the sacrament of confession. The Council of Trent reaffirmed that in these words, we have our Lord instituting the sacrament of confession. And he is reassuring us that the sacrament is about peace. We go to uh, the priest and Jesus with our worst, and he gives us his best, which is his mercy, his forgiveness, his goodness. And I love that, again, the peace we talk about, it is in the context of the sacrament of confession. How many people have said to you and I, Deb, oh, I feel like a hundred pounds have been lifted off my shoulders. And it is that peace. We go into that uh, sacrament and we're all bound. You know, and you just talked about the, the presence of Jesus. It alleviates that tension. There's this calming force. And that, again, is the peace of Jesus Christ, what we all long for. Absolutely. I love a, a priest friend of mine once said, you know, everyone is looking for confession, Catholic, non-Catholic. You're confessing to your hairdresser. You're confessing to your barber. You're confessing mm-hmm. to your friend. We crave healing from our Lord. And he said, in that sacrament of confession, we bring all that burden and we lay it down at Jesus' feet. And he, he, and he wa- heals it all. He washes it away. And he says, don't take it out with you. Leave it yeah. here. Leave it here with me. And, and the last little part of the story was a little, uh, a little youngster was coming out of confession, the same priest. And he comes out and he fist pumps and he goes, yes! <laughs> and, That's father, awesome. and father said, yes! <laughs> he got it. Yeah. 
He yeah. understood the burden was lifted. Yeah. The guilt was gone. It, it was fun. You know, uh, my oldest son just had his first confession. And they go back to the classroom and one of his classmates says, man, I feel like I can run a mile. <laughs> I just thought that <laughs> was so that awesome. Yeah, yeah, it really The is. lightness of your heart yeah. as you come out. Yep. That yep. healing that occurs in no other place because your hairdresser and your barber and your friend can't give you that piece of grace. Yep. They can't give you that grace. That grace, yeah. that sacramental grace that's received. That's right. And as, as we're talking about this, Deb, you know, there's something else early on in this mm-hmm. narrative that really grabbed my attention. And that is, in this appearance, uh, you know, Jesus carries with him his earthly wounds in his resurrected body. Ultimately, he shows us that there is glory on the other side of suffering. He answers the problem of suffering, uh, not by removing it, but by giving it redemptive power. And all throughout in Paul's epistles, he speaks to the glory that comes out from suffering. Uh, And we must enter into this and see it for what it is. And I think for a lot of our listeners, Deb, I think we can grab hold of this. Uh, That is something great being attained on the other side of suffering. I mean, what do we do every day? We are across the street from Emotion Fitness. Mm -hmm. How many people walk through those doors each and every day with blood, sweat, and tears, right? You know, Deb, in secular circles, we will go through all sorts of pain to gain an advantage against our competitor. Lift weights for an extra hour, run an extra mile, and so on. What are we doing? What are we doing? We suffer that we might gain an advantage let us accept the suffering that comes our way that we might gain an advantage against the enemy, Satan. We have heard it said, no pain, no gain. Let there be pain in the Christian journey that there might be gain of the eternal reward. So how do we win the race? Well, by giving God our suffering and by willingly suffer. We have to embrace this. We have to enter into this. Um, this is part of what is going on here to show his earthly marks. That struck me. It, it, it in, his, well. in his resurrected body, he wants us to see that there's glory on the other side of suffering. And healing in those wounds because, so we have this, I love, uh, you know, in verse, in verse 25, Thomas says, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger into those nail marks, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And the moment, I love how Jesus invites, Thomas, come, Thomas. Yes. Put your finger. And the obedience and humility of that, he does exactly in the order even that Thomas requested. Mm -hmm. And then, my Lord and my God, the most beautiful acclamation of faith, immediately, immediately yeah. occurs in the healing wounds of Christ. Yes, yes. You know, we, we think of Thomas, and we, we never say Thomas. We say doubting Thomas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Well, why? Because in that word, unless, we have all of the language of doubt, skepticism, I have to see. And then you just said it, my Lord and my God. You know, Deb, much has been said about the significance of the name Thomas. 
I have talked about a great deal on this radio program, the importance of what names mean. Well, what does Thomas, may, uh, Thomas mean? Um, twin, dynamis, twin, uh, in the Hebrew ta'am, to be paired with. And many commentaries say, oh, we just don't know what's going on here. Well, I think we can begin to get a clue when we draw back and look at John as the author. He's already highlighted Thomas. He wants us thinking about Thomas. John's the only gospel writer that really focuses in, in on Thomas. What we know about Thomas is because of John. Why is that important? Because John thinks in universal terms. Why does he call himself the beloved disciple? Because he wants us to see what it means to be a beloved disciple. So who is he paired with? Debbie, you, mm-hmm. me, and all of our listeners. Yes. And, and in what way? Well, are we not all filled with that tension between, unless you show me God, my Lord and my God. There is this tension in between those two statements that I think we enter into each and every day of our life. Absolutely. Lord, if you just did this, oh, Lord, my Lord and my God. And so every day we have this kind of dialogue with God in that way. And so we have to be able to go deeper and appreciate uh, what's going on here, because certainly uh, Thomas does respond. He does. He responds, and, and we know, you know, later on in John, he's second to Peter, which sequentially in the world of antiquity is very important that he has this, he's not Peter, James, and John, where those three are by Paul are called the pillars, but certainly he has a special place for him to be named right after Peter. Very important. Mm-hmm. And there's something else here, Debbie. He touches the wounds, and he, my Lord and my God, does not our faith increase when we touch the wounds of the body of Christ? What are the wounds? Those who are suffering. Yes. Those who have been ostracized, those who are on the margins, on the sidelines, to go to them. You know, Blessed Trees of Calcutta once said, every time I pick up the poor off the ground, I increase in faith, even if it is just one very small step. I think she was, she was talking about this, you know? I agree. That when we go to those wounds in the body of Christ, and sometimes, Deb, let's call this for what it is here, it's just not those who are homeless or without food, those who are lonely, those who are unloved. Sure. Because that is where God desires to go. And when we go there, we are sharing in God's redemptive work in a powerful, powerful way. And this is what Paul is talking about in Colossians 1.24, when he says, we make up what is lacking in the suffering of Christ for the sake of the body, his church. What he's saying is not so much Christ's you know, passion and death was not enough for redemption. What he's saying is we share you know, earlier I make the point, he, he doesn't solve the problem of suffering. He ultimately shows us the meaning of suffering. He gives it redemptive power. And we, as Paul reminds us, are called to share in, in this power. And how do we do that? When we look across the room and we see someone broken and we go to them. Divine Mercy Sunday. What does the word mercy mean? Well, the Latin misericordia. What does that sound like? Misericordia, Latin, the heart. 
Mercy is, is about that when the heart sees someone in misery and they run to them. The one who lives in God's mercy, the one who desires to dispense mercy, is the one who seeks to fill the void of, of darkness in the heart. In the gospel, the doors were locked. Yes. Uh, how many of us lock the doors <laughs> of our heart? Mm -hmm. You know, it yeah. didn't really occur to me until you read it just yeah. now, Deb. I mean, so many of us do that. We need to open that door. We need to be instruments. Mm -hmm. uh, first receiving God's mercy as a gift, but sharing in that task, sharing in that redemptive work. What a task we've been given. Right. Oh. It's, I mean, it's, it's profound. I think of, um, you know, in that exact same vein, I think of us each having it like a little key, like a little master key. Mm. And you see all these hard hearts and their door is closed and that little key of love that little master key of god's love maybe can let it crack open just enough mm. and that's all jesus needs just yep. a little crack yep and he's in but we cannot give what we do not have Absolutely. and this is why we need to receive god's mercy receive mm. god's goodness certainly this is the grace we receive in baptism Mm -hmm. Right. And uh, obviously the grace that we receive in the sacrament of confession, but the grace that we renew each and every day when we turn to God as a child of God, mm -hmm. a son or daughter in God and say, Lord, I need you more. I believe, help my unbelief. Absolutely. And from there, uh, open your heart so that God would work in your heart and then turn to your brother and sister in Christ and see where they are in need. I, I hear so many people to me say, well, all we need to do is just first and foremost, you know, serve our, our neighbor. Yeah, of course. But it's, it's in God first, always. Absolutely. Always. So that we can then be for other. We'll never understand the goal of Christianity if we first don't understand the identity of Christ. And again, this is really what rests at the heart of this gospel. You know, it's only when Thomas says, my Lord and my God, you alone, you first. You're anything and everything to me that he becomes a missionary to uh, the world. You know, is yeah. I think it was uh, Western India and yes. Southern India he went to. And mm -hmm. I love this quote from Saint Pope Gregory the Great from the sixth century, and he had this to say about Thomas, who who seems to get kind of the shaft sometimes, poor little Thomas. And so I, I just really love this: by touching the Lord's wounds, the apostle has healed forever the wounds of unbelief in our hearts. And thus the unbelief of Thomas is a greater help to belief than the faith of the other apostles. Amen. That is a beautiful, beautiful quote. And we'll, we'll wrap up the program with that, Deb. Why, why don't we close in prayer? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you.
You've been listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening from 6.30 to 7 p.m. right here on KKXX. If you have questions or feedback, you may email Joe at jholljmj at yahoo.com. For a copy of today's program, visit joeholcraft.org or call KKXX during regular business hours at 894-7325. Thanks for listening to the Seeds of Truth on KKXX.